0: Street Epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. Please follow me on Twitter at MagnaBosco or on Facebook and YouTube at MagnaBosco210. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com.
1: I'm Courtney here with Anthony Magna Bosco there we go um, and I've, I just met you it's um I was very impressed with the uh, the epistemology that you do um, I think it's really um, important for people to to have an understanding of how to engage with believers and um, and actually you talked about in your talk um, of the uh, you said a backfire effect
0: Yeah, yeah, I talked about the backfire effect here at the Faithless Forum in Dallas, and this is a phenomenon which may or may not be a thing. There seems to be some new science to suggest that it's not as bad as we previously thought, but Mm. there's this idea that if you present somebody with evidence that contradicts their view on something, especially if it's something that's very tied to who they are, they are more than likely going to ignore your evidence and believe Mm. what they believe even more, Mm -hmm. with more vigor, and that's the backfire part of it.
1: Yeah, and my uh, actually my degree is in psychology, um, so I've oh. I've looked into uh, some of that, and I thought it was really interesting what you said about it because um, there is the phenomenon. It, it reminded me a lot of uh, cognitive dissonance, um, and and there was one study that I read recently that was um, if you give people an idea that's actually false, and you have them come up with their own reasoning for why it's true, um, then they, and then you show them the evidence that it's not uh, afterward, uh, then they will still be with you that it's not true. But if you come up to them six months later, um, they're usually still in the belief that, that they previously held because they found a reasoning behind it.
0: I'm not surprised by that. I'm, uh, there's this great podcast that I love listening to called You Are Not So Smart. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever heard, or, heard of it or not. But it's so. phenomenal. It talks about all the things our brains do to protect ourselves from changing our minds,
2: hmm.
0: and there's some there's some hypotheses that when you are presented with something that's contradictory to to a belief that you hold, that there may be areas of our brain that light up. That's that's the same sort of areas that light up when we're threatened by like a physical. Hmm. Like let's say somebody barged hmm. into Fight this. Fight or flight area. kind of thing. Pretty much, yeah, hmm. and and I think we're maybe just naturally you know, we sort of have a natural tendency to be afraid of changing our minds.
1: Mm.
0: And, and that's I'm fascinated by that.
1: Like as a survival technique?
0: Yeah. Hmm. It's a way of protecting ourselves. So Interesting. So rather than running away because we can't run, our brains sort of act as if we're running, and it just shuts down that discourse.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and I know cognitive dissonance is something where um, the, uh, the idea of being incorrect about something kind of contradicts yourself identity as being someone who's smart you know mm, what I mean mm. um, so if you want to think of yourself as a nice person and you do something that doesn't suggest that you're a nice person then uh, you'll rationalize either one way or the other why you had to do it or why what you did wasn't such a bad mm, idea mm. Um, there does but seem, also yeah oh,
0: I was gonna say there, there does seem to be this thing where we're hesitant to admit when we don't know things that we'd rather just make things up mm. rather than admitting that we don't know and I think we need to like it seems like we need to get past that, like saying it's okay to say we don't know, mm. rather than making up an answer or pretending that we know something.
1: So do you think that that's something that, um, that happens across the board with believers and non in your time oh, yeah. interviewing people?
0: Yeah. This I think it's universal. Yeah, this isn't just like, this isn't just something that God believers do. Mm. Atheists are just as capable mm. of creating answers to things that we don't know the answers to.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Listen, I, I've
0: met a lot of atheists who, sure, they don't believe in God, but they think that they have a soul, mm. or they think that magic is real. Or, that or karma. <laughs> yeah, or karma. Mm. I, you know, I was in Oslo three months ago, and everyone was like, oh, you can't do street epistemology there on the streets because everybody's uh, they don't believe in God. Mm. Everyone's all rational and, and and secular. I It's a small sample size, but I asked mm. five people, and each person selected some belief that... Didn't seem to be based on a reliable epistemology, a reliable mm. foundation. Mm-hmm. So that this idea that that you you can't use street epistemology or critical thinking mm. with atheists is just a mistake.
1: Mm. Well, because I guess it's it's just arriving at why people think what they think or believe what they believe, whether it's religious or not, right?
0: Street epistemology. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the, why it would work the what and the why is important. What we're finding though is the uh, the how. It's mm-hmm. it's how somebody is concluding that these things are true.
2: Mm.
0: What method did they use, and was it reliable?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If you focus your questioning on that, you're probably finding yourself doing more street epistemology. Mm. And those how type of questions are very difficult for people to answer.
1: Mm, yeah,
0: it's hard, It's hard to even formulate a how question, but once you do, it's more difficult I think to answer it mm. a lot of people realize that they have these beliefs but they very rarely give a lot of time to thinking did I base that belief on a, on a solid foundation
1: so what's the difference between um, epistemology and counter apologetics
0: mmm okay so that's a great question uh, the counter apologetics tends to focus on what the person just said they believe so bear with me here. So if somebody says...
1: It's, it's in reaction to, right?
0: Yeah. So we, like um, the example that I used today at the workshop was that somebody is a Jehovah's witness. And one of the first things that we might want to discuss with them is blood transfusions. Mm. That's what they believe. And we can spend hours talking about blood transfusions and how it's safe and mm. memory is not transmitted in the blood. Oh, creepy. What, what, I, what I think makes a, a, something a street epistemology conversation is when you move from the what they believe and you move even past the reasons but you move down to that lower level which is the how or the method mm-hmm. so yeah the counter apologetics approach it could be beneficial to somebody if they are in that mindset of of being open to seeing evidence mm. but generally that backfire effect is in play
2: mm.
0: and and giving somebody evidence that shows that they're wrong usually causes a person to just ignore what we have said so mm-hmm. what we're finding is that especially like in a one-on-one situation the street epistemology approach of Socratic questioning, questioning the foundation, hmm. it seems like it's the best way. It really does seem like it's yeah. the best way to just go right to that foundation. The root of it. Because if that foundation is unstable, mm-hmm. it's likely that the belief that's up there might not be true.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting too, because it, it seems to really get at the root of why people think what they think, because you can hear people at work or on the street um, just randomly saying the most insane sounding things and you don't even know how to approach that as, as an ordinary person. <laughs> you just kind of have to say, you know, okay, and, and you I don't really my, know what to
0: do. Did you hear my story about the Uber? I was on an Uber like three yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. I, I loved I, your
1: presentation. It was great.
0: Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, this driver was saying that for various reasons, he's telling kids that words have power and mm-hmm. you can, you can <laughs> even, you know, if you line up your hands, one hand, if one hand is shorter, you line up your hands on the on the crease of your wrist, right? And you bring mm-hmm. them together. And if you talk to your other hand and you say grow eight times, your <coughs> hand will grow. So- It's the
1: craziest thing. It
0: is, but I don't, I just don't think he ever took the time to really think it through. Right. And, and like, can I test this? Right. What would be the impact if I did this every day for the next year?
1: Right. And I think that a lot of people, you know, they think things or, or they've come to some conclusions because you don't really think things through all the way with every single little thing that you think or believe, yeah. um, you know you don't think to ask these questions of yourself. So it's it mm-hmm. can be really interesting to have that kind of thought experiment. Um, and I think probably really rewarding too.
0: Yeah. One thing that I noticed though, is that when you do ask a lot of people these questions, you invariably ask yourself the same things.
2: Hmm. So mm-hmm.
0: you're right. Like that makes sense. until I started learning street epistemology, I rarely would ask myself, how do I know that that's true? Hmm. But when you ask, 200 people that question you you start asking yourself in in fact before i even make a statement before i make a tweet or something on facebook i now ask myself okay how do i know that that's true because one of my friends will probably be asking me how i know right so i've now trained myself to walk myself through those steps Mm. so it's it becomes kind of humbling you know it's Mm. like you find yourself sort of making less claims and being a less a little less certain about what it is you think that you know
1: yeah one of my favorite um, songs on that Tim Minchin, um, he has the song about it's called "The Fence," okay, um, and it's sort of a uh, an ode to ambivalence, kind of a, the the idea that the more you know about something, the less confident you are that it's one side or the other, kind of false dichotomies, mm. um, and it's really really awesome. I love that mm. song. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: so epistemology, and I guess it applies to counter apologetics too. I guess there's been some controversy around it being a, um, I guess kind of an atheist uh, argument only the something that only applies to the side of it yeah that mm. um, that that it's almost like um, kind of atheist's version of um, of like a yeah like evangelical mm. um like, like making atheism a religion, I guess. Okay, yeah. Um, and it, it, it doesn't quite make sense to me because I now I kind of have an understanding of what epistemology is. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems logical. Um, but uh, I guess you could maybe speak to that since yeah. you know more about it.
0: Yeah, I, that's a common charge. Uh, from the, Even from the very early days when we were sort of l- reading Boghossian's book and going out and having conversations, and, and I, I completely understand why people would get the impression that this is like street preaching, mm. because the word street is in street epistemology, mm. and the most the most visible examples are people who are going out and initiating talks, like saying, hey, sir, do you mind if we talk for five minutes about a deeply held belief? Mm. That is unusual for people to do. And uh, the closest example, I think, was, well, that's, that's like the street preacher on the corner. But... Uh, well number one it's not just for atheists to challenge theists Mm. i've had great conversations with people who are atheists and are 100 sure that there's no god Mm. Uh, and of course we talked about karma and political things and everything um the other thing is that if you if you look at a street if you look at a conversation that's that's being called street epistemology (laughs) um take a look at the number of times we we make an assertion and we we like say like we're telling somebody what to believe Hmm. to the number of times we ask a question. Yeah. And then do the same thing with a street preacher. And I think it will become pretty evident when the line is crossed. Mm-hmm. I think the line is crossed when, when the person, let's say it's an atheist who's doing street epistemology, when we start telling a theist, this is the truth, mm. and that's wrong, and mm-hmm. this is how you need to think. Right. It's, it's, it becomes fairly clear that it's, it's no longer street epistemology.
1: So that's the difference between the counter-apologetics, too, is that making an argument versus challenging someone's arrival at their own argument?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. But I, a lot of people think that, well, when you do street epistemology, you should avoid facts that there's a yes and no to that there's some nuance here so the big difference is like
1: depending on whether they're going to receive it (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) because
0: there are there are some people who are ready for evidence Mm -hmm. and it would be foolish not to give somebody evidence if they were ready for it right so se street epistemology is really good for like gauging where a person is Mm -hmm. are they ready for evidence or do i need to probe them with more questions to see Mm -hmm. is their belief based on evidence Mm -hmm. if it's not if their belief is based on feelings or faith or some other epistemology then it makes no sense to provide them with evidence it makes no sense to mm. provide them with counter apologetics mm-hmm. but if they're ready for it and they tell you what evidence they would accept and if it's sufficient and if it would significantly lower their confidence right there's like at least three hurdles there right right if they if they buy into all of that then you can sit down with them and work with them to give them evidence
1: hmm yeah um, so you had a, a title to a video that was kind of controversial. It was a, ta- it
0: was a talk I gave. I was mm-hmm. at American Atheist last weekend in mm-hmm. uh, Oklahoma city.
1: So that, so can you name the title? Yeah,
0: it was, um, I called it street epistemology, a turning point for atheism.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, uh, I guess what was people's argument against that?
0: I think, well. So, well, the big thing, and we've been championing this uh, street epistemology, has come out that, that, that the title of Boghossian, Boghossian's book was a manual for creating atheists. Okay. Well, we suddenly realized, not suddenly, it took a little while, but it started dawning on us like, this is not just to challenge believers, this can be used for anybody. Mm-hmm. This is not just to challenge theists so they lose their religion. Hmm. Okay? That could be a possible outcome, okay? For sure. If somebody's believing in a God and it's based on a shaky foundation, they may very well become an atheist because of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So for years we've been pushing this, and, and I still stand by this: that SE can be used for anything. Mm. It's not just for atheists to challenge God believers. However, I was invited to give a talk to American atheists. Mm-hmm. It's a room full of, of 800 atheists in there. I think there was maybe 600 at the time. Um, that was my audience, so I tailored this talk to them. And mm-hmm. The talk was called "A Turning Point for Atheism: Street Epistemology, A Turning right. Point." Um, And I named it that. I I don't regret the title at all. I've Mm -hmm. had some people on Twitter say like, um, well, I thought that street epistemology was not for atheists. Hmm. Well, it can be used for that. This is Mm -hmm. not just an exclusive tool for atheists. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that distinction is lost on some people.
1: So it's a tool that can be applied to it, but it's not exclusively that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. However, my my audience is a room full of atheists. And this is a wonderful tool for atheists to learn. And that was the whole point of Mm -hmm. my talk is that you know if if we i really do think that this approach because it 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 tends to avoid the backfire effect like we talked Mm, about mm -hmm. it seems ideal for one-on-ones right and it seems like it's freaking effective it does Mm. seem like it works yeah it
1: seems kind of like therapy oh (laughs) Um, it it lends heavily i think it lends heavily
0: from like psychotherapy
1: and and for me i think that's the difference between it being like a a progression of of atheism for the sake of of like deconverting christians Mm. or you know other faiths um it's the difference between that and just sort of getting at what people believe and why they believe it, no matter what it is. Um, because I think for me, you can believe what you want. I wouldn't want to take someone's you know, faith away from them for no reason, but um, just be informed enough to have a, a reason for what you think. You know, I think people are entitled to that education of of having a good standing to, to have, you know, a reason for why, what what mm-hmm. they believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that seems really interesting to me. Um, so apologetics, um, where do you, uh, where do you usually do that?
0: The apologetics approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not against doing it. So like I sort of make the delineation between street epistemology, which is the so- Socratic questioning and then the apo- the counter apologetics, I guess I'd call it, um, of sort of presenting facts. Like I do think that there's a time and place. If, mm-hmm. if I was invited to give, if I was invited to do a debate mm-hmm. against I don't know ken ham or something like that <laughs> yeah. i would probably use a mixture of se and and the counter-apologetics right uh, because i think both would be really well received by the audience mm-hmm. there will probably be theists in there that would hear the counter-apologetics and and uh, probably thinking about it a little bit more as if instead of as if i was just tra- challenging them directly mm-hmm. but i also think there's some benefit of people observing the se approach too the mm-hmm. The how can you be so sure tell me a little bit about your method those types of questions yeah 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 I kind of think they both have a place
1: hmm so um, where can people find you
0: um well let's see uh, Twitter is probably the best way to reach out to me uh, my handle is Magna Bosco
1: hmm
0: and I also have uh, a Facebook page and a YouTube channel at Magna Bosco 210
1: all right I'm really excited to go look at it because that the the, the cool. video that you showed was really amazing to me, because um, I see people like that all the time living in Texas, and it's really, you know, it can be really frustrating to not know what to say to somebody that just suddenly starts talking about the mark of the beast or something, and you're like, yeah. how do I approach that topic? That's really crazy to
0: Seriously, me. my advice would be to be respectful, mm. to really listen to what they're saying,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and ask questions, and mm. repeat it back so that they can hear it. Pause if they're really thinking about it. You know, mm-hmm. Try not to walk on that silence. Let them think about it. And uh, recognize if they're getting overwhelmed too, because sometimes mm. even just asking what you believe, what, what exactly do you mean by God, that could be an extremely threatening type of question to people. Right, right. So just give them the time. Move it, kind of try to move at their speed. Don't overwhelm them with questions.
1: Mm. And it seems like a much more respectful version of engaging with uh, with beliefs, because. It's, it's about really listening to what they think and, and letting them flesh out that argument mm-hmm. um, and not just sort of shooting it down with a, with a quip. So that's cool. I think
0: it's like, there's two sides of that. Like, yes, it actually helps the person think about their belief, but also um, theists who are used to ar- arguing atheists, they're a little taken aback by this. Like, what, you mean he's actually being polite to you and listening? Mm. Uh, it's kind of hard to demonize a person who's being polite. Hmm. So I think this actually bodes very well for, for atheists. Right. They, would, they would at least consider giving this a try once in a while.
1: Mm-hmm. And building bridges about understanding that people who have atheistic beliefs or mm, atheistic views don't, uh, aren't just arriving at them for, you know, emotional or selfish reasons. Not always. Yeah. You know, right. They may be. <laughs>
0: Possibly so. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sometimes. Well, thanks for watching guys. Uh, this yeah. has been Atheist Edge. Um, this is Anthony, and what was the name of your channel?
0: It's MagnaBosco210, and you can find me on YouTube. uh, Well, that's my YouTube channel, same Facebook page, and then uh, Twitter, MagnaBosco. And I'm accessible. Email me. Let me know if you have any questions.
1: Thanks, guys. I'm Courtney. Have a good day.
0: Thanks for the interview. Mm -hmm. Street epistemology is a technique by Dr. Peter Boghossian in his book, A Manual for Creating Atheists, and his Android and iOS app, Atheos.